0: We're kind of all at different points in our real estate journey. Um, you know, some of us have are just getting started, and obviously, um, some of us have very large portfolios. I can't see Chris, but he's somewhere here. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm kind of in the midpoint, and and you know, for, particularly for the, for you younger people who have not lived through a kind of a cycle like it appears uh, we are in, I thought it would be very valuable to bring um, someone out who has. Uh, An incredible perspective on the industry having having really uh, got started in it in uh, right around 1980 or so Maybe even a little earlier. So with that let me uh, bring out my friend Bruce Faraday of uh, Cypress equity investments
1: All
0: right, Um, I met Bruce um, uh, a couple of months ago actually Artem Tepler uh, uh, brought us together for lunch and Bruce sort of casually mentioned at some point that he had built 35,000 apartments, and I was just like <laughs> so, so I said, and then we, and I, and I basically took, took up lunch interviewing you, to be honest, and I, and, I, and I, it was so interesting. Yeah, you're subtle. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and I, thought, I said, this is really interesting. I bet these guys would like to hear it. So, uh, so I appreciate you coming out here, and maybe we'll, happy to be here. Nice to meet everyone. So, so just to give you, um, just to give everyone a sense for for the size of Cyprus and what you're up to now, maybe you could talk through the, the
1: scale of the development that you guys have been undertaking. Sure. So uh, currently, I'm the chief operating officer of Cyprus, Cyprus Equity Investments. We're a L.A.-based development, uh, multi-family apartment development company uh, based uh, here in Los Angeles, uh, five offices around the country, Los Angeles, Denver, Dallas, Fort Lauderdale, and New York, New Jersey, and we cover more markets out of each of those different offices.
0: And until the change in the capital markets, you guys were starting a billion? About a billion to a billion and a half a year. A billion and a billion and a half to a billion and a half a year of new apartments. Unbelievable. So I want to talk about how one gets oneself into that uh, enviable position. Um, so can we let's- one, one step at a time. One <laughs> step at a time. So, so let's go back and talk uh, about, um, about how you got into the real estate
1: business. <laughs> Um, prepare to be underwhelmed. Uh, So, I don't know everybody here, but I can say confidently, I'm assuredly the oldest person here. Um, And what that means, uh, in this context, is there was a time before cell phones, personal computers, Excel, all that sort of stuff. And we did real estate back then. And that's when I started in the business. So I went to school, uh, graduated in, 1980 um, and uh, there was no information in the world. I mean, there's no no internet. So how did you get information? There really wasn't much. And in school I had learned about investments and perfect markets and all that sort of stuff. Um, And so uh, I'll come back to that part of it. But uh, my job search... In 1980, it was literally to go to the companies that had the tallest, tallest office buildings, and say these guys must be doing something good. So let me go interview. So I was literally. So the, I happened to walk into a life insurance company, um, and I said, you know, do you have anything? And they said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, because uh, I'd done some research, and they, they, I said, how about if I we invest in? How about if I get with your stocks and bonds company? Because I knew they invested in securities. And they said, well, we're not really hiring in that area right now. We don't have any openings. But we have an opening in real estate. And I said, real estate? You guys sell houses? I mean, what does an insurance company do in real estate? So I had no idea of the idea of an investment class uh, of real estate. Uh, totally foreign to me. So anyway, I was told that if I went in real estate and worked with that group, that there would be an opening in the next six nine months, and I could move over to stocks and bonds. So that's what I did. And then I uh, ended up in the real estate group, and... Six months later, there was an opening in stocks and bonds, and they said, you "Want to move over?" I said, "Fuck no, I'm, I'm a real estate guy now." <laughs> <laughs> so, so tell us about what that meant to be a real estate
0: guy at a life insurance company in the uh, early '80s. Like, what were you doing? Uh,
1: <laughs> doing uh, discounted cash flows by hand. How about that? <laughs> How many here have done discounted cash flows by hand? There you go. Okay, there's a few of us. Um, fun times, right? Uh, So that's what I was doing as an analyst, uh, and again, uh, what I quickly realized, uh, and coming back to my perfect markets uh, comment earlier, is that there's investments, and I've always been taught investment world is a perfect markets world. Real estate wasn't that, isn't that today, and it sure wasn't that in 1980, uh, again, with no information, and so it occurred to me that there could be an opportunity to create an edge by. you know, just work in a market, and uh, and you were backing developers, is that right? That's you're, correct. You're
0: providing equity to developers. Uh, that's how I started. Okay. Yeah, with and, the life insurance company. And you, but but,
1: and, and you sort of at, through that uh, experience start to build relationships with developers. That is correct, and uh, especially uh, the Trammell Crow Residential Company, and then Leonard Wood, who went on to found uh, Wood Partners. Some of you might know Leonard, uh, fantastic guy. So I was uh, investing with developers, uh, really at a young age, and. Uh, I got to know Leonard pretty well. And so Leonard was, uh, Re- Leonard, for those of you who want to know a little bit of that history, Leonard was uh, the Trammell residential partner for Central and North Florida back in the late 70s, early 80s, and I got to know Leonard. And Leonard, as he was growing his platform, said, you know, I need a CFO, and CFO back then really was a capital raising exercise, and I'd come from capital, so I knew how to raise it. And uh, so that's how I got with a development company. I joined uh, Trammell Crow residential in 1983, as the CFO for the Central Florida division, and so your job at that point is, is primarily
0: to raise capital Raising for uh, ground-up development projects. Correct. Um, but you, you, you wanted to be a developer yourself.
1: Yeah, I thought so. I mean, I was just all so new to me. I was still in my late twenties. I mean, it all happened really pretty fast and young. Again, it was I think a sign of the times. Um, so
0: yeah. And this is, um, just to set the sort of stage for everyone, this period in time was a, there's a lot of development going on. Right? There is. Uh, Fueled by the tax code.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, as, so I, I think one of the messages for today as we think about whether or not our markets are in equilibrium, equilibrium uh, are we hitting the yields? Are we delivering the IRRs that we need to for capital? And the answer is no, we're not, <laughs> uh, for reasons that we all know. And, uh, and so I talked to a lot of people, young people who are like, How's this going to work? How are we ever going to afford these interest rates? That sort of thing. And, you know, with the perspective of history, uh, you know, I certainly, you you know, I I started in the world of super high interest rates. I mean, the stuff I was doing in uh, the 80s was all driven by tax indications, I don't know how many of you guys know that, but in the 80s, there was a, if you look at the production numbers in the U.S., there was a ton of apartments built in the 80s, and I built a bunch of them at Crow, and all of that activity was fueled by uh, limited partnership tax indications, which meant, among other things, that real estate didn't have to generate a yield. Um, and so I had plenty of investors, and they never wanted a distribution. They didn't care if they got a distribution. They were getting accelerated write-offs, like four-to-one write-offs uh, on the, the investment dollars. And so that fueled real estate. And so then 1989 happened, and what happened then was we had the, uh, we had a law passed that basically did away with limited partnership and tax advantage syndication. And so apartments, which never had to generate a yield, or not much of a yield, now all of a sudden lost our primary funding, which was all these tax advantage limited partnerships, and so and it hits a wall. It hits a wall, and I I look at that as somewhat similar today. Like we didn't have a yield, we weren't able to generate a yield because we never had to, uh, in order to you know hit the metrics that was needed for uh, you know to justify ground up development. And I think there's an analogy analogy today today's situation in that regard. And I wanted to talk also. I mean, so so separately from the change of the tax law, you've also got the SNL crisis. Uh, Well, that's true, too. And so, yeah, I mean, it's a double whammy. So uh, whether we could have generated a yield or not, and we couldn't, uh, (laughs) there wasn't exactly uh, any capital out there, any debt or equity capital to invest in any event. So it was a dead period. I mean, 90, Sam Zell, who just passed, I think he said survived till, uh, what did he say, something till 23. What did he say?
0: Uh, it was anyway. Stay alive till 25.
1: Anyway, but anyway, so same, back when uh, back in the 1990s, Sam said survive till 95. I mean, that was the mantra. So we had a four or five year period where you just didn't, you couldn't justify there was no, right? there was no, You couldn't justify anything. There was no bank lending, right? The SNLs were gone. Yeah. So, five years. That sounds like a, lo- a long time. And it is a long time in our careers. But I'm here to tell you that things do get back in equilibrium. And you pivoted pretty quickly.
0: I mean, we talked Personally, about um, we talked because uh, I asked, of course, when uh, when the business hit the wall, whether you had a bunch of PG debt that you were, but but you had you had avoided that that
1: misstep. Um, remind me, it was you had funded guarantee companies? Yeah, and so uh, for what it's worth, uh, the Trammell Crow residential model. Some of you might have heard the Ron Terwilliger name, who was our managing partner for so many years and decades, I guess, and Ron had put together a regime of no personal guarantees. And so while the Trammell Crow Commercial Company was out there guaranteeing everything under the sun, and when the S hit the fan, you know, that really hurt the Crow family and the Crow Commercial partners on the residential side, we had structured all of our guarantees uh, through Guaranteed corpse. And so we funded a finite amount of money, and we put that up, uh, with our equity investors and lenders, and said, "This is our guarantee," and so that's what you got. You don't have any of us personally. So when you when the business hit the wall, you were not personally no. in trouble. Nope. but and I, I've I've, made, I've
0: adhered sure. to that ever since. <laughs> By the way, I've never PG'd anything personally. That's amazing. So you've you've built thirty five thousand apartments without ever PG'ing anything. Yes. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's true.
1: No, I haven't. Unreal. Um, okay. So uh, so but, but using guarantee groups. It's not like I don't guarantee. So a guarantee corp, right? I mean, it requires equity to be funded into it, and so that's our wealth. I mean, we've earned that money, so we lose that. But I don't. But you're not losing your house. That is correct. Yeah. Um, okay. So you. So so the business that you've
0: been doing though for years hits a wall, right. and uh, and you got to figure out what to do with yourself. And but fortunately, you're pivoting into like what I think in, that, in retrospect is now like regarded as basically the greatest real estate acquisition opportunity of all time. What'd you do? It, it
1: was. Um, so again, because of lack of information, uh, the world back in the 70, '60s, '70s, '80s in real estate was a very pro-cyclical world. world. And that, what I mean by that is. Every financial actor moved in unison. They all like, did the same thing. And so when times were good, everybody piled in and things became overbuilt and we had a problem from overbuilding. When times were bad, everybody went to the sidelines. That was, that was real estate, uh, as I experienced it when I first joined it. So then you have the nineteen ninety and meltdown, meltdown, uh, where they basically stopped all those tax advantage syndication, created a lot of distress. And so there were three investors uh, in the world uh, who, were, who thought up this idea of buying up all the financially distressed uh, real estate. And that was Morgan, uh, Goldman Sachs, they had Whitehall Fund, uh, there was Morgan Stanley who had Mesref, Morgan Stanley Real Estate Fund, and then the new on the scenes Apollo Real Estate Advisors. And so you got capital from one of those three groups from 90 to 95, and if you didn't, you had no capital. And so luckily we had connections and so we were working with Goldman Sachs and with- uh, So you Bob. and a couple you and a couple of guys set up a, an acquisitions company, effectively. That is, that is correct. So we and were buying financial distress, yeah. And you're buying uh, apartments? That is correct, all apartments. W- was it um, one market all across the country? All across, How are you- all across the country, although I'd say the distress then sort of started in the east, southeast, southwest, and then moved west. Uh, California was the last to experience the uh, uh, the distress.
0: If you Can will. we talk about what the process was like? And we didn't we didn't discuss this upstairs. So of course you don't have the internet. You don't have so the, the data is sparse. Um, What was like, what did it look like? Like did a broker call you and say we have a package, was there a tape, like how did the information get to you?
1: All all the above, but I mean it's like a personal network, you know, I mean you had, I had developed and my colleagues had developed a large personal network and people knew who we were, and again, there weren't many buyers, right, because there wasn't much capital, and so people knew that we were a buyer because we had capital, and so. How do you underwrite though, I mean you're sitting, I can't remember where you
0: were, are you in Florida at this point? No, no, I'm in DC. You're in DC. Um, and you're so you're getting these opportunities, and they're all over the country, right? How are you underwriting them? Like, how do you
1: get comfortable? It, it, it wasn't hard. <laughs> it wasn't hard. I mean, we were underwriting to ten yields on cost. We were because there was no capital. There was no okay. capital.
0: So at that point, you figure like you don't need to know that much about the rents in the surrounding yeah. area or yeah. what's going on with the neighborhood or whatever. If you're getting a ten, you're getting a ten. Right. Got it. Okay. But and then. And so you, you've got, let's
1: say, you said five years, roughly, of, of, of right. that. Right, right. And as the distress moved from east to west, uh, again, we were always one of the handful of buyers in the market. And uh, if we didn't win, most of the stuff was not one-off. It was all portfolios or banks or insurance companies. I bought a lot of my own stuff back, as I told you. It's was pretty, pretty funny. So, just,
0: yeah. so he's buying stuff that had been foreclosed already? 100%.
1: Who knew better than me? <laughs> so, uh,
0: yeah. Okay, so can you... um. What, just to give us a sense for like the, the
1: size of that opportunity, what how, how large a portfolio of this stuff we, did you We ended add? up buying 6,000 units worth of stuff. And when I say stuff, I mean about 2,000 units of that was uh, real estate, REO, and the other two-thirds of that was uh, paper. And specifically, I don't know how interesting this is, but maybe it's not too... too much of a niche, but we were buying back distress broken eighty twenty bond deals. So there's a real technical. There's a, there were bond issuances out there to public. Uh,
0: and Was bonds. that your
1: expertise, or
0: one of your partners? That who, was my expertise. Your expertise.
1: Yeah. So you're going
0: out. Your your um, and were you able to get leverage on this stuff? Yeah, or, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So you're who and
1: was was who was providing General Electric Capital. So GE Capital is providing yeah. leverage. For those of you who have the gray hair like me, you guys remember GE Capital was a big player in real estate finance back in the so day. So they're providing the leverage, uh-huh. and the uh, and those three private equity firms you're talking about uh-huh. are
0: providing yeah. the, the, the equity. Yeah. Okay. And amass six thousand units, and then. But as you said, the opportunity starts to
1: dry up. And yeah. So I had been like, if I didn't get a portfolio in the east or the southeast or the southwest, I might have missed it by two percent or something like that. And so, I'll never forget this, but. Uh, was bidding on a large Daiichi Bank portfolio out here in California in '95, and the bids came in, and I was down. I, I missed it by 30 uh, percent in 1995, and so I went back to talk to my partners and said, "Well, this business is over. Um, so, uh, time to do something different." So that was the end of the distressed opportunity. Wanna, Things recovered really quickly. I want to. Um, I guess
0: I want to pause there and ask you. You know, w- many of us here have either had to reinvent ourselves or are on the cusp of having to do so. And now this is now the second point in your career where you've pivoted entirely basically from development into distressed acquisitions and then from distressed acquisitions, you're gonna pivot back into development again. Um, You're a calm guy and you've seen a lot, but was there was there like a gnashing of the teeth? Was there like like? Um, in, uh, it, it's easy in retrospect to pre- to present a story like mm. it's a straight line, but obviously those are there are moments of doubt and, and frustration and everything. Do you remember what that was like when you're, you're like, well, we've had this great five year run, like fuck, got to do something else. Like mm. was that was that was was there
1: sadness? Was there pain? No, <laughs> just no. Because it's just life. Yeah, That's what it said. is now. right. It was always exciting to me. I mean, my f- most fun times in the business, and I'm older. I'm 69 years old, I'm, and so I mean, people ask, why aren't you retired? I don't wanna retire. I plan to never retire. I love this business. I love doing it every day, and part of the joy of it has been to learn different aspects of how to go about the business over the decades, and uh, so I enjoy that process. So
0: you, okay, so that, I, I I, mean, what a what a wonderful mindset and example for all of us. Um, so, so the opportunity to, to buy this stuff for pennies on the dollar is now gone, and uh, you're going to pivot back into the development business. Right. Talk to us about where you did that and what you decided to do. Sure.
1: Build. So I had been a Florida developer with Trammel Crow Residential, uh, and uh, that was uh, certainly a state that presented a lot of opportunities. So after this dis- distressed stuff, what we did is took our existing portfolio. So the, the REITs were being formed in the mid mid-90s. I mean, all the REITs that are out there today, I mean, they were formed, you can, some go back to the 70s, but essentially they were formed in the their mid-90s. That includes equity residential. And so I had some former Crow colleagues at EQR, and so they ended up just buying our entire portfolio, did an up transaction and that was the exit uh, for that. for the, So you just become a passive shareholder a Shareholder equity residential. EQR, yeah. Um, what do I do next? So uh, the world, light had come back on in the world. Uh, we had rents readjusted to a place where I could actually deliver a yield to somebody now, what a concept. And uh, so that's what we did. And so I uh, had known uh, Penny Pritzker uh, uh, for, for some years and so we talked and uh, she wanted, she had some land holdings in uh, Florida and so I we talked about creating a development company. So I ended up moving back to Florida and uh, forming a development company uh, and the Pritzker family was my financial backer. And you're building at this point like Garden style, suburban. Yeah, and a lot of the BTR, I told you a lot of the BTR, a lot of the townhouses for rent stuff. I mean, I was building that in Tampa, Orlando in the late 80s, 90s. Uh, what size deals are these? Is it 100 these, units? These are larger deals. These are 300, 150 is probably the smallest deal and 500 would be the biggest deal. Okay. And
0: they're being, the Pritzker family is putting up the equity and by this point there's construction debt available yeah. widely. That's right. Okay. That's okay. right. And then you kind of run through up until the dot-com crash.
1: Yes, although specifically, I mean, sadly, the case with uh, the Pritzkers is that their patriarch, Jay Pritzker, had a stroke and then he passed away and the family started to squabble about uh, investments and so they were no longer an investment partner of mine. Ah, so you go from,
0: this is in a situation that I think, I've certainly experienced it and I imagine some some people in the audience have as well, the experience of having one equity partner who, <laughs> for reasons that you can't control and even that have nothing to do with your performance, Exit the scene, mm-hmm. and for many of us, that would feel like a pretty big blow. Was it? Did you did you experience it with the the sort of same sense
1: of calm that I that you're projecting now? Uh, I had had uh, some uh, crow former crow colleagues. Will be a repeated repetitive uh, comment here, but so I had some crow f- colleagues uh, who were up in uh, San Francisco developing, and they had had a vision to develop multi-family housing using modular construction. And so I had a good, good background in construction that I had developed by that period of time. So I had sort of an open invitation to
0: come So you to, knew that you could just, you uh, could move out there. And they were doing... That's what I did. That's and they did. were. And, and how were how those, just out of curiosity,
1: how were those uh, capitalized? Was it? Uh, uh, did they have private equity partners? Or? Well, so now we're in the for sale decade, right? I mean, the 2000s, the aughts, so that's the for sale decade. We're not building purpose-built apartments. I mean, everything is built all multifamilies being built for sale, pretty much. So the for sale model allows you, and so we really, so for our, so we built we built a lot of for sale using modular construction. That's to cut to the chase. And that was all in a townhouse sort of variety. And so that 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 allowed us to do sort of 40 unit phases and just roll them. So we're able to do that with our own capital. So you're doing your data. own money, you're yeah. just building these things, selling them out, and then recycling ritz, the capital. Ritz.
0: Okay. Uh, and you're doing this all the way through three, four, five, and then right. yeah. and yeah. then wham. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> but but, you, <laughs> but you've but but you have not been PGing. Uh no. I've been with a with a guarantee entity. Only. Right. Yeah. 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 And so so you get hit just like everyone else, and you experience you told me you experienced
1: some financial pain from Yeah, this. it was not in any vertical deals. Uh those we all sold out. Uh, never lost money, uh, but we had gotten ahead of ourselves. We thought that we had created this great model of building townhouses using modular construction, uh, which was what I was doing. And uh, um, what was I just saying? Well, so you bought the. So you're, you 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 um, you. And then you're building these things, and then you run into the the, the right. The so what had happened was we had. Bought land in advance because we thought, man, we figured this out, modular, all that sort of stuff. And so we were sitting there with a lot of land. And so I had a lot of equity tied up in land. I lost that equity. Did you have the land levered at that point? Where you we did? You you were levered long land heading into the
0: GFC. yeah. Yeah, never. The value never fell below the loan value, but my equity was wiped out. Did you, how did that, how did, just out of curiosity, how did you resolve that? Like did you, did you hold the land through or did you end up giving it back to the bank? Or what was the, what we, were the resolutions? We, we just sold it. We sold, sold, it, sold it at it. current market value. Got it, okay, yeah. but you had and the, and was, I was able to repay the loans. But but with basically none of your own money. left. okay, Correct. so um, so again, this is, now you're going through another one of these things where you gotta, you know, you've, you've just spent, you know, most of a decade building for sale product, the market turns. And, uh, and you take some, you know, without having, you know, you didn't lose your house, but you lost a considerable amount of your own money, right. which you had been rolling into these deals. Uh, and uh, so, so again, like, I mean, it was not a hit
1: below the waterline. I mean, it was painful, but it was
0: not, but it was not, but it was not fatal. Yeah. Um, did you, m- many of us having experienced a loss like that, again, would have, would have got into mourning or something. <laughs> um, it sounds like the uh, recurrent theme here is that you did not. Um, so what did you do?
1: But there's no point to going into mourning, right? I mean, it's easy to say, but there's not. Um, so what did I do about what? Well, what did you? I mean, so you, you sell the land
0: out, right. and then you gotta, you're looking, you gotta go back in the business, you gotta earn a living. So what was the move after that?
1: Well, so then we had, we're in 08 to 11, and so I was just buying personal distress. I mean, I was, Buying a lot of, you know, Fairfield. I was in Northern California at the time, so I was buying a lot of Vallejo, Fairfield stuff that was single-family homes homes that were built and selling for eight hundred fifty thousand dollars. Vegas too, buying them at like one hundred seventy-five thousand dollars, renting them out, and then just sold them when the market. Now I'm
0: really curious. So you were personally doing this? Did you set up an organization, or you just did it? Uh, I had one
1: analyst. That I so you did. got
0: an analyst, and you were just literally with your own money, yeah. just going around buying foreclosures like a bunch of the people out here were. <laughs> I love it. And then just selling them. Right. Okay. But, yeah, we I mean, were in a transition
1: period, so I know it's just kind of treading water during that okay. period. Okay, and then, and then you get
0: back into the development.
1: Yeah, I mean, in 2011, the world starts to recover, and so you know we can start playing offense again. And what did that look like? So um, we could all start to develop again. So I ended up joining... I told you trauma a recurring theme here, so I joined some other Crow partners of mine, former Crow partners of mine, also up in the Bay Area. And we just were Bay Area developers. We were Silicon Valley developers, uh, early in the recovery. Uh, San Francisco got hot. I was a San Francisco uh, developer. That was the dumbest thing of my life. Um, and uh, Why do you
0: just, I mean, I, I think I know why you're saying that, but maybe you could, for
1: the benefit for, of uh, For
0: all the reasons everybody would imagine. I mean, <laughs> that, that city
1: is just brain dead. Um, it just, it's terrible. <laughs> Tell us how you really feel. Yeah, right. So, uh, no, it's it just, it became very apparent it was not possible to build housing. Um, I, I could do a whole talk all about that, but. Uh, So anyway, so uh, that's 2015. I realize I'm a developer in San Francisco. I don't want to be a developer in San Francisco. So I don't know who here knows of our company, Cypress Equity Investments, and our founder, Michael Sorachinsky, brilliant guy. He's got his own fascinating story. So uh, he is an investor in ground-up real estate development and coming out of the the great financial crisis. And uh, as an investor, he really had no background in real estate development and so he had been d- investing with other development platforms and said kind of like the business uh, I'd rather I'd like to bring it in-house so he and I knew each other and so I was looking to get out of San Francisco he was looking to bring create his own development uh, uh, capability in-house and so that's when I joined him in 2015. So you joined Cypress in
0: 2015 Correct. and in that period between then and last year you built a- yeah we were like
1: five we were five people and now we're like 70 people and- you know, five offices and so. And I
0: want to just talk briefly in uh, the couple of minutes remaining to us about how you're viewing this latest uh, this latest pivot. You've lived through uh, the market changing many times now. Right. You've experienced obviously ups and 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 pretty significant downs. Um, and you were, as recently as a year and a half ago, starting a billion and a billion or a billion and a half in apartments every year, and obviously that that's no longer the case. Correct. And you've got a bunch of mouths fee in the organization, and you're pivoting, and you've you've pivoted again.
1: So tell 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 us about how
0: you're uh, trying to navigate things now.
1: Yeah, sure. So we have obviously stuff in progress, and that's continuing to generate fees to help support the organization. But we pretty immediately have pivoted now, so. Uh, we had a little bit of background in affordable LIHTC stuff, um, but uh, we've just pivoted in a huge way. So right now, I am looking for zero uh, market rate land opportunities for ground up, and I am scouring uh, the South for LIHTC opportunities, uh, primarily in Texas and Florida. Florida is a great LIHTC market, for those of you who want to play. So there's stuff to learn there, but its a, I think it's one of the better opportunities in the country today. Uh, Florida and California are also creating workforce. So the tech is the deeply affordable stuff and then both states are also creating and Texas has had uh, workforce programs which essentially work off of a 80 to 120 of AMI sort of income level and you get a property tax abatement in exchange for holding rents to that level. Texas has been doing it, for those of you who know Texas, called PFC deals for, for years and, those got pretty abused, so there, there's definitely scrutiny on those these days. So you can still do tech in Texas. Uh, workforce is a little bit more challenging, uh, but you can do tech in Florida, and Florida, they just passed last year, or this year actually, uh, their SB 102 Live Local Act, which is a fantastic workforce housing program. It needs, uh, and we're working on some legislative changes right now because there's some fixed. Things that need to happen, but those should be done in the next set, legislative session. And, and you think that that's like, if you were a young developer starting yeah. out, is
0: that where you would be looking right now? Mm-hmm. I think we'll close there. Thank okay. you for sharing. Well, no, I think, so no,
1: for sharing yeah. that, I
0: mean, I think that's, you basically just gave us an alpha there for anyone who's, <laughs> anyone who's
1: listening. But I mean, the message is, you know, this business is this. I mean, know that. That's, this is the business we've chosen. And uh, um, some, some folks got the res- reference. Um, <laughs> And uh, it is a volatile business, and uh, just know two things. you got to be resourceful at all times. Uh, this business rewards resourcefulness, and you got to just know that we'll get through this, and tomorrow is a different, different opportunity. Thank you so much, Bruce. I really appreciate it. Good to see you.